Hello and welcome to The Third Way. The Third Way is a podcast all about exploring the worlds of the mind, art, and how people function together. In this first episode of season two called Let's Break Things, Cephas and I are joined by our good friend Rocky Enti. We discuss everything from growth to making mistakes, our thoughts around cancel culture, and some ways in which we think we can together show each other the kind of grace we need to grow into better people and with that a better society. We recorded the episode last year in the summer, so of course some of the current events we're discussing might feel a little bit further away, and also some events that have transpired over the last few weeks and months won't be mentioned. We hope you understand. We did really want to put this episode out because we feel that it's going to help many of those of you who are listening in the same way that having the conversation really helped us. So without further ado, Please enjoy the episode and don't forget to subscribe to the Third Way podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a review and of course, follow us on social media. Enjoy the episode. We don't want to start hearing me crazy laugh. All right, fine. Say that again, Rock. I think that's how we should start. <laughs> Crazy laughs. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Third Wave Podcast. Yeah. Broken people break people. Yeah. Um. <laughs> All right, everybody. Now, welcome to the Third Way Podcast. You have just heard us joke around and make silly uh, comments and statements because, honestly, that is how we're all feeling and that is where we're at. My name is Jess and I am the co-host of the Third Way Podcast. I'm here with my co-host Cephas. Hello. And we're... <laughs> so you'll, you'll hear a lot of this like laugh because we're all kind of a little bit at the end of ourselves, which we'll get into a little bit more in a minute. Um, and we're so excited that today we have our good friend, Rocky Auntie with us. <laughs> was that a deep breath, Rocky? It was pretending to be a crowd. Oh. <laughs> that, was that a sound effect? Social distance crowd. That's um, Rocky is, aside the fact that he's a good friend of ours, he is a singer, songwriter, he is a theology geek, as I like to call him, and so much more. Rocky, thank you so much for being with us today. How are you doing? I'm good. Another glorious day in our Lord's kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because it started off that sentence genuine, and now it's the irony just sips every word. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the um, the sort of mythical language. Thank you. Yeah, I, honestly, I don't know anyone else who uses the word kingdom apart from who <laughs> talk about the kingdom. <laughs> <laughs> Explain to us what you mean by that, Rocky. There are people listening who are very confused. No right idea now. what kingdom is. I just need, uh, it makes the mundane very mystical and like I'm doing my washing, but another day in the glorious kingdom makes my washing even a part of this bigger tapestry of life. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, it's really deep, but it's mad basic. I live, I live a boring life, basically. I need to make it exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really beautiful. It's, it's funny, though, because I think, you know, in the time that we live in, that's actually a really important thing to do. Like, obviously, in different places around the world, people are still in some type of lockdown scenario. Life isn't normal yet. So it's really important that we find ways of you know, making the mundane, quote unquote mundane, um, special and, and find things to celebrate, especially in the time we're in. But before we get any deeper, Rocky, I kind of touched on who you are, what you do. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit more? Um, tell us maybe how you got to being a singer, songwriter and theology nerd um, and why you said yes to being on a podcast with us. Right. Ask myself that question every morning. Um, Why are you on a podcast with us? <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess uh, I started like writing music when I was fourteen. Um, every everyone in the area was either in a metal band or a grime MC, and I didn't really fit in either of those boxes. So I had to create a third way. Hey. <laughs> found a guitar in my garage and just started writing really bad songs about girls I liked. And then I just kept sharing those songs and people kept saying that I was good. And then I moved to London and then people still said I was good. And then <laughs> I thought, ah, okay, I think I actually might be good. Yep. So I did that. So I wrote songs and toured for a bit and wrote on like some drum and bass stuff and some dubstep songs. And that was really, really fun. So like that's yeah. how I kind of got into the music game. And then two years ago, I kind of, went through kind of, a, I wouldn't say a massive deconstruction, but it was just a lot of, I brought my childlike faith into adulthood and it didn't really match up when you do that. So yeah. Let me go on the most intense Bible study I've ever been on. So when you say that you um, went through a deconstruction, childlike faith and all of that, are you, did you grow up in a very religious household or what's kind of your faith backstory? Yeah, so I, I've kind of always been homies with Jesus um, like my parents were like pastors and always been in ministry and things like that. So I kind of was brought up within a Christian context, um, like a Pentecostal kind of West African fusion with Western Christendom. So that kind of hybrid. Of, <laughs> I mean, of, you do know who you're talking to and you do know that I could take this into a very interesting direction right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah, um, my grandparents were Methodists, and then my my parents were kind of this kind of this West African UK fusion. Uh, so I've always grown up in church, but I yeah. guess I guess it wasn't. And again, I, I never really I've never really pushed up against it. But I think when you when you're in a particular framework, you become almost numb to the framework, mm-hmm. and then you kind of could become lazy in that because that framework is created by someone else. So you're kind of building blocks on someone else's foundation. Yeah. My mid twenties where I was a bit like, why are all these blocks here? Yeah. You put them here. Put them there. And and do they still need to be there? Or do I need to understand the worth of these blocks for myself? Um, So that's what I did when I went studying. I just kind of like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just kind of tried to understand what these blocks actually were and what needed to go and what needed to stay and what once you pick up the blocks you've realized that they're made out of gold and some are made out of sand 
Mm-hmm. Had to kind of sift through which which was which. Um, yeah. I'm, I mean, I've, I've got a stick, a stick. I've put my foot in the ocean of theology. Yeah. I'm like, did you? You actually went to study theology, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I just got <laughs> passed the certificate, which is good. Nice. That was fun. Yeah, I think it's it's so interesting and so important and refreshing to hear somebody who, you know, grew up in in a particular faith tradition and grew up in a particular religion, um, which I think many of our listeners can relate to in some way, shape, or form, whether it's Christianity, whether it's a different faith tradition, <clears throat> and to actually be courageous and bold enough to um, to get to that point where you look at it for yourself and don't just throw the baby out with the bathwater. Cause I think we see a lot of that as well. You know, people grow up in a certain faith tradition and get into their sort of late teens, twenties and kind of just go, meh, you yeah. know, not, not for me. And I'm just going to throw the whole thing out, but you actually had the courage to really look at it and, um, and sort of take it apart and, and put it back together. I think that's really important. And I would encourage everybody who's listening, um, whatever your faith journey um, or religious background is to do that. Because I do think that as people and as people who are, you know, looking to live the life of the third way, um, a, a grounding in this, in spirituality, a grounding in something bigger than ourselves is really important because otherwise we're always going to get stuck. Yeah. Exactly what you said. I think if you, if you believe that I believe that, Christ, Christos is at the center. So it's like no matter how far you dig down, I feel that that's he's at the bottom of the of the barrel. Mm. Not to use the that pronoun, but Christ is yeah. at the bottom. Yeah. Um, so no matter how far you dig down, and no matter how much bathwater you throw out, yeah, there's still Christ. So it's like people shouldn't be scared to to investigate and look at the truth will set you free. Yeah, that's really great. The reason we're here today is we want to talk around this topic, this title, Let's Break Things, um, Making Mistakes, Cancel Culture and how we grow. And I thought it'd be interesting, Cephas, for you, before we get into it um, deeper, just to hear a little bit, because you came up with that title, didn't you? Yeah, let's break things. Yeah, it's the, it's the idea of um, going at life and learning by doing. Because mm-hmm. you have this um, sort of unsaid textbook that's given to you throughout life and you could be uh, growing up in whatever um, background or culture that you come from there is some sort of a textbook that's handed to you be it that's tradition that's been passed down be it that's the culture of the people around you be it the friends that you make um, but they all kind of add to this uh, this sort of theoretical textbook um, and you there are certain ways of doing life, certain aspects of um, living that you get sort of set in. And there comes a point when you have to break them um, and try and learn a way of living for yourself that is tried and tested. Um, 
so I think that's sort of where that's sort of where the idea comes from. You see it quite often in 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 the world of the arts and music, where you can only learn by doing that thing over and over again. So if you want if you wanted to learn a, a sonata on the piano, you have to sit down, start at half the tempo, and um, play it note for note, and hopefully you build in muscle memory. And if you get a note wrong, all the eighty eight keys are available there for you to try again. Yeah. and then play the right note and yeah you do it enough times and hopefully by the hundredth time if it requires that many um efforts um you'll be able to play it um, from start to finish um, yeah and yeah so that's sort of where the idea of let's break things comes from it's not it's not like a violent title or anything like that <laughs> we're, not, we're not out here to um, <laughs> oh, there you are <laughs> I think it is interesting yeah. though in, in the time that we live in to, to kind of give it context, you know, what you just said about the textbook and about um, you know, having having to work out what life looks like for yourself, learning from mistakes maybe even. Mm. And we certainly live in a culture where making mistakes is highly dangerous <laughs> at yeah. the moment. Um and sometimes, uh, maybe understandably so, but it's definitely if, if you're someone who who's in the public eye, um, there is, you know, we've all heard the word cancel culture and all of that. But also we live in a world where um, I feel like, and, and Rocky, this is something I'm going to want to hear a bit from you about where we sort of live in extremes. We are in the, you know, day two or three of grieving Chadwick Boseman. Um, we, you know, lost our Black Panther. We lost um, someone who was a real hero. And um, I know for me, like a real role model. And in the wake of his death, we found out that he's obviously lived with cancer, for, um, colon cancer for four years. He made the majority of the films that we celebrate um, right now, including Black Panther, Marshall, and some of the others. Um, in this time of sickness, of severe sickness. Um, and we've seen, you know, the internet get really, really crazy um, mm. in the last sort of months leading up to his death and like just cracking jokes and trolling and all that kind of stuff. Now, what's interesting to me in the context of what we're talking about is that on the other side of this now, um, there are almost not two camps in the sense that no one's taking away from how amazing Chadwick is. Well, they better not because I'm come for them. But um, there's definitely this sense of, you know, some people are like, oh my gosh, he's done all this while he had stage four cancer. Like, what am I doing with my life? And then there's other people who are like, you must never do anything. You are just great how you are by taking a breath. And this polarized approach to things that is like, it's almost like we're constantly fighting with the textbook mm -hmm. instead of actually just looking at maybe the core, the intention, why did Chadwick live the way he lived, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. For, for you, Rocky, who's someone who is an artist, a creative, a man of faith, a man of purpose, all those kinds of things that we, you know, would attribute to two people like, and I'm not saying you're like Chadwick, don't get a big head. Um. <laughs> two people like him. How can we navigate things like that without becoming an either-or camp? Yeah, wow. Um, I guess it's the 
it's 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 the danger of holding one universal truth over the other out of context, isn't it? Because I think what I found, especially growing up struggling, is 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 that depending on which universal truth you scream the loudest, seem you end up building a whole house around that one. But it's you start building the house around something that needs to be transitional. Do you mean so? Like, for example, if you look at that Chadwick Bosman in terms of people being like, ah, I'm a creative and I haven't done anything, but Chadwick was an absolute G and he was suffering on an immense level and he did everything. I am worthless and I should be sad. And yeah. Whereas on the other side, you have people like that saying, like, your art form should not be for others and you should create from a place of humbleness and never strive to be anything more than an ex- like an inhaler, like you said. But then on one side you have, what, the pendulum is sung to one side, you get lazy creatives that never really push themselves. Yeah. And on the other side you have people that are completely trying to build their lives around their ego. Um, so the pendulum swung extreme to either side. Yeah. Ramifications that are negative and positive because in the positive sense you have these people that are able to create such pure, honest works because they haven't been striving that transcend and change culture. And on the other side, you have people that are creatives that are able to grit their teeth through and share their art no matter what situation they're facing. Mm-hmm. Do you mean, I think you need, uh, ironically, obviously, you need both. And also you need to understand where your flow is calling you to be in that yeah. scene. So I think it's almost about more so being being present in where you are and what season you're in. I know that sounds really like, figure out what season you're in, man. But I think in recent... <laughs> For those of you listening, Rocky just made the weirdest like hand gestures, quotes. Like stoner vibe, like, hey, <laughs> blow and sense your season, bro. <laughs> It's, like, it's it's almost like it's for example you know at some at some points in your career especially if you're creative but I think it's transferable to any discipline you're gonna have to put on your big boy pants and grit through and create and see beyond yourself and understand that your artwork is more important than the situation you're going through so you can wallow in self-pity or you can change the world and in other senses you need to take off your crown and stop thinking the world rolls around you and get back to the why you did the thing. Yeah, yeah. Build a house on either. You have yeah. to transition between those spaces. Yeah. It's all about holding holding that tension, isn't it? And I think, what you know, just to stay on the Chadwick example for a minute as well is the last four years of his life were a fruit of 39 years of his life. Completely. I think that that is something that, you know, so easy for people to forget that he didn't just wake up one day and and end up the actor that managed to do everything he did for four years while he was fighting cancer. He spent a whole life and we've obviously now we've seen social media sort of flood it with tributes and um, videos of speeches that he's given. I would highly recommend if you haven't watched the speech he gave at Howard University, you should really go and watch it. It's brilliant, especially now in the context, knowing that he was already sick, you know, 
um, the way he speaks about purpose and the struggles. And he talks a lot about, and this is where I really think this brings us back to our topic. He's talked a lot about the struggles are preparing us for a purpose. The challenges, the hardships are preparing us for purpose. And I would even paraphrase and go as far as saying the mistakes we make prepare us for our purpose. Um, and so what, you know, whichever camp people find themselves in, I think it's important to remember that he was writing, there was, it was his story and he was laying a foundation over 39 years of his life that when he got to being diagnosed with colon cancer, he, he knew where he was headed. Yeah. He knew what he was going to do based on the way he had lived his life until then. So I think the questions that we really need to ask ourselves is, are we living with intention and therefore things that break, things that go wrong, things that are hard can actually be channeled into, yeah. into life, into something different. And Cephas, I like the, um, you know, you kind of, as you introduced the topic, you talked about this whole, you know, there are certain things that you can only learn by doing them. I think one of the things that stops us from learning by doing what I say, I think I know um, is actually fear of failure. And again, you know, we look at someone like Chadwick and people go, well, of course I'm not going to do anything because I'm never going to get to do that. You know, I'm going to make mistakes. So I'm just going to stay right here where it's safe, where I'm not going to make mistakes. How do we navigate that? Maybe share some of your thoughts, Cephas, on this whole idea of fear of failure versus learning by doing mentality and and across the board, you know, whether it's in craft, whether it's a relationship, whether it's a vocation. Yeah. No one can be like Chadwick Boseman. (laughs) Fair. End of podcast. (laughs) I I, I hope no one's going Yeah. I hope no one's going to try to be like him. I mean, I think you can be inspired by people like that and have heroes in life and have aspirations towards, you know, yeah, people who set good examples and things like that. But I hope no one is now looking at their life and going, right, I need to replicate his life and his lifestyle because yeah. that isn't going to work. No. You can be inspired by what he's done and you can have the wow factor of, because Look, there are people who battle through cancer and do a lot of living and great work that isn't under the spotlight of Marvel Cinematic Universe, right? Yep. Um, But having said that, using his example, I think a lot of people, a lot of us, even myself, you know, I try to succeed at something, but I'm often caught up in experiencing someone else's life and trying to live someone else's life. Yeah. um, trying to outwork their successes in my own life instead of trying to learn and live my own. Um, so even if even if I'm working towards a goal and the goal is quite similar to maybe one of my you know film composer heroes or whatever. Yeah. And if my life doesn't pan out the way their life is done, I class that as failure. Right. So now I'm afraid of the fact that my life isn't going to turn out the way that person's life has turned out. Mm. So this fear sets in and now I'm actually preventing myself from doing anything at all because the course of my life hasn't turned and gone the way I thought it was supposed to go. Whereas my life is actually going in the direction it's supposed to be going in. And I just needed to pay attention to that 
yeah and get on with things I mean I'm not trying to say that you know do your own thing you know kind of thing um because no one got very far by doing their own thing on their own yeah with no one around them but I feel like yeah the light bulb doesn't get invented by giving up you know yeah. and just trying to live by someone else's rules you yeah you need to, you need to do something and f- make some notes figure out where it went well figure out where it didn't go well try and work out so even you know using craft for example like I've network- networked with a lot of people in the film industry or in the, in the film composition kind of world and not all of them work out yeah that doesn't mean I'm going to stop talking to people because not every person doesn't have the solution that I need but yeah. what I do end up doing is when I talk to person A and they don't have the the sort of the route that I'm after then what I've learned from that experience is I'm now not going to go talk to them again about that same thing. I can now, you know, learn, learn from that yeah. little moment going, okay, let me go and network with someone else. Let me go talk to someone else. Yeah. And so people tend, people tend to completely eradicate the big picture with the, with, with the small, um, yeah, we can, we can go through, you know, a billion analogies. It's like having one, one tiny little puzzle piece that doesn't fit. And then the whole puzzle just now is, yeah. not worth the effort yeah yeah <laughs> I mean you just you just need to put that one down and pick up another piece of the <laughs> again. Yeah. understanding the puzzle you're the puzzle you're making isn't the puzzle exactly what you said the puzzle you're making isn't the puzzle that someone else has made exactly. so you the puzzle yeah. framed you look at Chadwick Bosman's puzzle that's been framed like you said yes over uh, 40 years he's been meticulously working towards this puzzle yeah. And then you're like, I want that puzzle. I mean, I want that puzzle piece. So you're, mm-hmm. you're cutting your own puzzle pieces to create yeah. a puzzle that doesn't, will never look like that puzzle because your pieces have a completely yeah. different image. So you will always live a life of failure if you're trying to build your life in the image of someone else's, always. Ooh. Okay, that, that's a tweet. You will always live your life in failure if you try to live your life in the image of somebody else's puzzle. Holy guacamole. And that's actually, I want to come back to that thought um, (laughs) with you, Rocky, um, because I just wrote down as Cephas was talking, what, what even is our measurable for failure? You know, like what, what determines something as failure where do we get this idea for failure from and and i think it's an important conversation because we're not saying that there isn't right or wrong in the world you know there isn't but what especially when it comes to sort of the lives that we are building and growing as humans what does failure even mean is it even a thing i guess i mean a lot of failure in a western context is probably a man-made construct in terms of because i think the inherent thing you think about failure is poverty mm-hmm. i think you like in terms of if you're like i failed it's just like i did not consume wow. to biggest power of consumption i think do you mean i think that's what like failure is it instantly linked to financial um gain i think mm-hmm. or like some sort of status i can achieve this kind of status i'm a musician but i wasn't drake so i failed yeah. I was a businessman, but I wasn't Jeff Bezos, so I failed. Yeah. But success is linked to a lot of financial. We don't really think of spiritual, emotional, physical success. We think more in terms of amassing things. 
So I think in terms of our context of failure is, I think my, my, I think how I'm trying to understand failure is, are the patterns and rhythms uh, in my life perpetuating goodness? Wow. Perpetuating negativity, I'm failing to establish what I referred to earlier as the kingdom, mm. a sacred space for all. So I'm failing in creating a sacred space for all if my actions in reality aren't perpetuating goodness. Wow. Irrespective of like how much money that makes me. Yeah. No, I think that's really, um, I think that's really powerful because it suddenly means that, you know, you just made the statement of if my life isn't perpetuating goodness and that's not bound to material things. And that also doesn't exclude making mis quote unquote, making mistakes. And that, you know, that's the other side of this conversation is that, um, you know, let's break things. Actually learning by doing means that as you do it, you're going to get it wrong. You know, I'm very active in the um, sort of anti-racism education space now and run a, run a course um, around that as well. And what I always say to like everybody who attends the course, because the course is for white people, non-black people of color. And you can tell sort of in, in the first session, like everyone's really sort of the angry black woman is about to like hit us over the head with how racist uh, we are. <laughs> and whilst I do that, but I do that with a smile and like lots of love hearts. <laughs> Actually, what, what I always say to people is, I mean, and I don't want to get into like the anti-racist conversation now, but you know, I liken, the first thing I establish is always like, what we're addressing is not your morals. We're addressing a system of beliefs that you've, you were born into that we've all been born into and that needs dismantling. And it's a little bit like learning a language. And so what I always say is when you learn a language and you're like really passionate about learning a language, the only way you're going to learn the language is if you're going to start speaking it, Mm. you can learn all the vocabulary. You can understand all the grammar. You can, you know, have read the books up and down, but if you're not going to open your mouth and start speaking it, knowing that you're going to make mistakes first. Yeah. You're going to call a boot a fan. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever, you know, or if we were to, you know, American English and British English, you know, a trunk and a boot or whatever. Um, You're going to make mistakes. But the interesting thing is as well, when it comes to language, if you make a mistake, and someone calls you out and addresses that mistake and says, hey, it's not this is that. Normally your reaction is, oh, great. Thank you for telling me. I'm going to say it right next time. So somehow when it comes to, well, in most cases, hopefully, somehow when it comes to learning a language, we don't actually see a mistake as a bad thing, but as a way of getting better at the language. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Like there's this, there's this willingness to have someone come and say, no, this is not how you say it. You're going to say it like that. And you're grateful and you're going to say it differently. But somehow in every other area of our lives, whether it's obviously now in this anti-racism conversation, whether it's in other cultural contexts, whether it's in craft that we learn, whatever it is, we get so 
caught up in like, oh no, I made a mistake. What am I going to do? Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like we get real panicked instead of responding the same way we would when we're learning a language where we go, oh, thanks for pointing that out. I'm going to take that on board and yeah. do better next time. Do you think that has something to do with identity? Anyone can answer that. I think it's um, the point you raise is an awesome one. I think it's a couple of things, especially when it comes to language is set, right? So there's a very particular framework around language. So like learning Spanish, sorry, like my kids have a thousand. Living in London. Normal thing. I'm surprised I haven't had any sirens yet today, to be honest. Wonderful, wonderful novelty that never wears off. Um, there's a particular framework with language. So if I get a Spanish word wrong, it's very, there is generations and tradition that has told me that this is, you've got it wrong. This is the framework for the Spanish language. You've not adhered to the Spanish language. But what I find interesting, I only thought about when you were talking about it, is when it comes to the, even anti-racism conversation, the, the, if you don't respect that there is a framework for getting it wrong, then me saying, hey, you got it wrong, it's like, well, what's the framework? Because the framework, if I don't respect the framework, then me getting it wrong isn't a bigger deal. Or if I don't think Spanish is a language, then me not saying the right Spanish word is like, well, we're making it up as we go along. So it doesn't really matter. Mm, what the so that's yeah. what so that's why there's more kind of a, for example, if I said a Spanish, yeah. <clears throat> someone was like, that's not right. I'd be like, of course it's right. You're right. Cause you're Spanish. And there's yeah. thousands, millions of context for this. Yeah. Right. The second thing is that from both people that are a part of that conversation in terms of the person that is kind of in giving the new information, the person that kind of got it wrong, the person that made the mistake and the person, that, the person that's calling them out. Yeah. There's a fear on the person that's making a mistake to not make a mistake because they will be thrown into this like abyss, mm. thrown into the oblivion, not to return ever again. <laughs> Everything like, that, what am I going to do now? Thrown into the seven stages of hell um, and never to able to, work again which is you know which is a reality because you can make a mistake these days on twitter um you will lose to the next day you will lose your job like people will at your company and be like hey you were a human yesterday and because you were a human that is fallible you will no longer have a career and i get like we call that Cancel culture, which I want to talk about in a second, but carry on. Yeah. So, so people are so, so people are so scared to be engaged in a conversation because they know that they have the, if they lose that conversation, they will be thrown into the oblivion. So what you end up having is people having conversations with people that they know won't throw them into the oblivion. And then you end up with echo chambers and these tight knit communities that all believe the same thing. And then with the community aspect, then you have communities throwing rocks at each other because they've got the support of the community. But you don't have open dialogue anymore. You've just got these like, we're not, we, we believe this and we're not going to cancel each other or throw each other in oblivion. And, and we believe this and we don't cancel each other and throw each other in oblivion. But we're not going to have a conversation because either of us lose, the result of the losing is the oblivion. 
Yeah. No, I think it, I think it makes a whole lot of sense. And I think it's a reality that we live in and I'm quite keen to kind of break this down as we, as we move forward, but just to touch on what you just said around cancel culture, because I actually think that cancel culture is a symptom of something that is playing out in the microcosm. So let me let me explain what I mean by that. So we just talked about this, you know, navigating fear of failure, making mistakes in our personal lives and all of that. And so clearly we live in a society where people have trouble with that, like on a personal level. There's a real sort of, you know, I got to get it right. I got to get it right now. I don't know if that has a lot to do with maybe the instant culture that we live in. Like I want it now. I want it like if it doesn't work, I'm going to give up. If it doesn't work, something's wrong. Um, and so there's a real sort of, uh, some people will probably say it's because it's, it's a fruit of capitalism, to be honest, because there's a constant striving for something. And if I don't achieve it, then I'm not good enough. And so we're scared on a personal level of making mistakes. Now, a symptom of that has become that that same whether you want to call it framework or pattern is playing out on a societal big picture level. So the fear that we have in our personal lives has now sort of managed to make its way into a very globalized, very connected, um, very public world. And now this fear of making mistakes that is obviously uh, perpetuated by cancel culture has become so profound that it's actually adding, I don't know if I'm making sense, but it's actually adding to polarization. So what we have is where there was already sort of a maybe left camp and a right camp, but then there was a bit of a sort of middle ground and all of that, that is polarizing more and more because, and this comes back to what you just said, Rocky, this framework conversation, like who are you to tell me this is right and wrong? And like, who are you to? So we're seeing all this polarization And what is happening is that because we live in a system that is all about um, retributive justice rather than restorative justice, is that when someone makes a mistake, we cancel them, they're out. Now, here's the problem. If we come back to all our analogies about learning an instrument, learning learning a language, by doing that, we stop people from ever becoming better people. Mm-hmm. You put a cap on people. We put, a, we put a cap on people because we say, you made a mistake, you're out. Or, you know, justice system, you made a mistake, you sold some weed, you're in prison. And now they, and now, and now they, they change, uh, and they change the frame, and then they change, because the framework is circumstantial as yep. well. So the goalposts are continually moving. So yep. not that you missed the framework. Oh, you just missed the framework this year. Yeah. You sold weed in the 60s. Yeah. Or the 70s or the 80s, but now we can sell medicinal marijuana. Yeah. So the framework has to move. So actually, you're judging people on something that isn't isn't a core truth. Yeah. So you're living and dying by the sword by something that doesn't actually exist. Yeah. And and I think, so this this notion of, and it's, it's a tricky one. I'm keen to hear what your thoughts are, Cephas. But this notion of canceling someone 
from making a mistake? Is it right? Is it wrong? How do we navigate it? Because the reality is there are some people like, let me just be upfront. Like somebody cancel Donald effing Trump, please. Like, (laughs) you know, do you know what I mean? So where, where's the line then? Like if I'm sitting here saying cancel culture is not good and, but because there still has to be a level of accountability, right? There still has to be holding people accountable according to the level of responsibility, the, the public persona, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, how do we navigate this, Cephas? What are your thoughts? Give us a good analogy. You're a <laughs> guy. <laughs> no problem. Yes, that's fine. You, I, I think it's, it's not as straightforward. There's, there's levels to this because teenagers counsel people differently to grown-ups. And, you know, kids, like even when I have, when I have friends in primary school, I'm counseled one day, the next day, the kid's giving me brownies that the mum's made. So yeah. it's like, yeah, <laughs> so I'm, I'm sure I was counseled yesterday, but hey, uh, thanks for the welcome back party. And uh, we're here now. But um, I feel like the, the, the way, the way things are orchestrated now, because all life, especially life that's sort of, progressive life where things progress and where things are made it's all built on social media platforms mm-hmm. and i don't know anyone that can be born and raised in these times can live and exist without those you know without that being part of part of their life and that being almost a secondary platform that they build their lives on yeah yeah so if someone if someone were to cancel me and go oh we're going to you know dismiss you and that's it it's over you're going to lose all your followers you're going to lose all your all the kind of the hard work you've built of i don't know whatever it is building like a circle of influence or whatever blah blah and if people were to take that away from me i would a lot of people including myself i think you kind of feel like oh where's where's my life now i've just someone's just gotten rid of it i haven't been sent to prison i haven't been like you know the, the justice system hasn't come to my door but I've been cancelled and there's now, I'm sort of just left. But what people forget is that I'm still a human being with all yeah. my limbs and all my senses. And I have every right, you know, to go and live my life. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, I think that's that's one side of things. Another side of things is um, I have this thing about, you know, learning, again, going back to learning a piano, where you if, you, if you're a student and you have a teacher, you, part of your identity comes from the way you're taught. So your teacher does play, play, play a huge um, part in the way you learn things. Yeah. So if the teacher were to go, right, lesson one, here's a textbook on how to play piano, and the teacher now leaves the room, that's, that's all the framework that you have, and that's all that you learn. You never see your teacher again, but you have the textbook. Whereas if the teacher were to not hand you any books and go play a middle C, and they tell you that's a middle C, you learn that now, that's a middle C. So then they get you to play an arpeggio, but you play it wrong, the teacher has a choice. Do I now say that this person can never play piano ever again <laughs> and throw them out the window, the piano out the window? Piano. <laughs> Everything out the window. Everything out the window. Burn the house down. And that's it. There's... <laughs> there is now no... There's nothing. There's nothing now. You, we've, we've removed all possibilities of moving forward. All aspects of... Um, change and um, restoration. The idea of a second chance is like slim pickings now in 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 this in this world. 
Um, and even I feel like even if you do get a second chance, man, I'm like I'm approaching that second chance like tiptoeing my way around it. Yeah. It's not it's but, not a second chance because it's not it's not a second chance of a free second chance. It's a chance within a very very strict yeah paradigm. Because like you said, if the teacher throws a keyboard out and throws a kid out the next time and then invites the kid back to another day, mate, <laughs> be sure. I'm I'm sat at the keyboard looking at it, being like staring at the teeth the whole time. Where do you want me to go? And you're not gonna the thing is you're not you're not gonna focus on what you're actually there to do. And you know what you're gonna become? You're gonna become a really good robot. Because then then you're not you're not learning piano anymore, you're learning what you're teaching. Yeah. (laughs) I think sorry. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, become a really good follower of the person and not a follower of the way. Hey, I don't know if I can handle the truth that is being spoken right now. If you walk, if exactly the, the analogy that Steve created is amazing because if you're a child learning to play piano and your teacher is very, very strict and you know you get one thing wrong, then if you're ruling by fear, if you're learning anything through fear then all you're going to learn is how to not incite the anger or the fear. Or mm-hmm. You're not going to learn. If, whereas if your teacher comes in and it's like, hey, you did that wrong, but like, let's focus on, you get that wrong because what you're trying to learn is this. You're yeah, just yeah. go again. Go again. Go again. The goal of getting it right. Rather yeah. than <clears throat> ease any sort of system getting angry. Yeah, there, there's more than one way of doing things right. That's very good, yeah. And, you know, if, if you're going to go from C to D and you can't, you can't do that, you can't make that movement on your fingers, then as a teacher, I expect you to help me shape my fingers to be able to play it right. Or maybe it's my muscle memory that's not working. So maybe, hey, have you tried it with your left hand? Maybe you might be able to play it better with your left hand. Like, why, why does that option not exist? Yeah. Now, I want to flag two things and what, what we're saying here. Um, the one thing is we are, you know, we're talking about the teacher and what is becoming clear is that the teacher and that analogy can be the leaders of our society. It can be society as a whole. It can be, you know, however we want to use that analogy. What's becoming clear is that the intention and the character of the teacher is deeply important. Mm. because the intention and the character of the teacher is what is going to determine how I am experiencing the learning process. And it's what is going to determine whether or not I'm going to find the energy and the motivation in myself to keep going, to go on a journey of learning. So the intention and the character of the teacher is something we need to look at. And, you know, we, we, you know, society leaders, what's the intention What's the character? When we cancel someone, what's the intention? What's our character? The other thing, though, I want to touch on, and I want to play devil's advocate for a moment because it's something I am trying to navigate and get my head around, is, you know, we live in a time of extreme heightened racial tension. Of course, we have, um, you know, the first episode we did on... on on the podcast was all about um, the response to sort of the the cry for racial justice um, 
off the back of the murder of George Floyd. Uh, months, well, I think it was on Friday, it was 95 days since George Floyd had been murdered. Um, today's Monday, so somebody do the math for me. I'm not very good at that. Um, 97. <laughs> but <laughs> Cephas is like, wrong. Doesn't matter. Not very long ago. Um, and last week, we yet again saw a black body uh, violated, <clears throat> tortured really, um, in in front of his young kids. We saw Jacob Blake um, in, in, in a confrontation with the police, walking to his car, uh, all the speculations about what he did, and let's not even go into that. Um, but the result was that a police officer pulled him back by his shirt and shot him in his back seven times. Now, my response to that is, cancel the fuck out of that police officer. <laughs> Very fair. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm just like, but no, like, I want to then, hold, hold on, because I know what you're going to say. <laughs> and I want you to say it, but I just want to, I want to give the context. I want the man to be fired. Mm -hmm. I want him to be charged and I want him to be arrested. Mm -hmm. And I want him to never get to be a police officer again. Yeah. Now, how, where does this fit in the conversation of, you know, cancel culture in the conversation of, you know, retributive versus restorative justice. Go Rocky. Well, I, I, I agree. I think because, because in that context, he has abused a power and he's abused a responsibility. So that responsibility and power should be stripped away from him. <clears throat> yeah. But his divinity as a human being should not be stripped away from him. Wow. And the unity of him. <laughs> yeah, which, do you mean? Yeah. So I, even in that setting, even the, the, if you, and that's also a belief system that I hold, yeah. other people may not hold, but I believe that there is divinity in every human being. I think that every human being is created in the image of God. Basically, God just put like a golden nugget inside of everybody. So that everyone is carrying around this inherent, godly, magical wonderfulness did you read thomas uh, thomas martin this morning and richard war's uh, meditation <laughs> well, did I, am I, if i'm seeing the same thing as rich i'm very happy <laughs> you basically are because i think it was in this morning's or yesterday's meditation he was quoting thomas martin and the divine in us so, uh, so. Listen, anybody listening um in case you didn't know not only is rocky a bit of a geek but i'm a bit of a geek too and cephas is a bit of a geek too so if we throw like names of random mystics and <laughs> teachers and things like that just ignore us yeah we're just on a vibe he's way <laughs> more geeking than i i've just dipped my toe in the geek not even true um but yeah we all hold this level of divinity which i believe can never be written off so i think in that particular <clears throat> situation yeah he's abused a responsibility and a care to look after the community in a job setting that should be stripped away from him because if you can't be trusted with that responsibility, then you should not have it. But yeah. the divinity and the opportunity for him to learn and be forgiven and grow as a human should not be written away, no matter. And I know that's a really hard thing because then everyone just instantly jumps to Hitler. Like, you mean the worst <laughs> people in the world? Because that's where the, instantly the conversation goes. It's like, okay, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I've done, you know, that, um, is it that Belgian 
military guy that killed lots of Congolese. Oh, yeah. People just look at the worst humans in existence and be like, but what about that person? And I'm always just like, well, there's an inherent divinity in everyone because everyone should have the opportunity to like, to be involved in the dance again. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, it's really interesting because obviously this is something I I am and I know many people will be wrestling with deeply, um, especially from a, from a, racial conversation and racial justice conversation. I do think as I dig deep, and I was thinking about this yesterday when I was um, watching Black Panther for the second time in one weekend, um, for the the millionth time since it's come out. um, And I was thinking about, you know, Killmonger and this whole, and we, in our, in our pre-brief, we were joking about this. Um, is Killmonger going to come back to be the new Black Panther? We don't know. Um, but Boys and girls. W- would that be restorative justice? Hey. Anyway, um, <laughs> I no, but I I am. Um, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking like right now, it's so much easier for me to engage in anger and rage, and you know just revenge almost like I I think for the first time in a long time in my life over these last few months like I've thought thoughts of revenge that I've never thought before in that way like I felt anger and rage before but like these last few months I was like motherfucker I'm gonna pull up at your house and I'm just gonna (laughs) and and I'm laughing because I'm like trying to make light of it like don't come arrest me but there are thoughts that I've thought and it's easier to engage in those thoughts but then when I take a step back and I think about the end goal and this brings me back to the analogy of of the teacher so what's the intention and the character of the teacher what's the intention and the character of the society that we want to build what's the intention and the character of the community that we want to build the lives that we want to build I have to dig deep in myself and agree with what you're saying and that actually both things can coexist. So in the example of Jacob's, Jacob Blake's shooter, 100% he needs to never get his job back. He needs to job back, can't speak. He needs to serve a sentence. But now my question is, and I think this is probably where where the difference of intention between restorative justice and retributive justice comes in is how is this sentence being served? What is he, you know, what, what is he presented with as he is serving his sentence? Is he being given the option to change and to learn and to grow? Is he being given the opportunity to see the divine in himself and to maybe come to a place of repentance. Now that repentance probably isn't going to cut a sentence short. I mean, in America, well, because he's a white cop, but you know, like in this utopia I'm describing, um, it, it doesn't necessarily mean a sentence is going to cut, be cut short, but is there an opportunity given for actual change and restoration and, and 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 when I dig deep, like beyond the 
anger and the rage and the desire for revenge and all those things that I very much say. And I'm saying it because I think sometimes people who have any kind of small or big platform can be very quick to say things like, you know, and forgiveness is really important. I'm like, fuck off. Like, I just want to kill someone right now. (laughs) And I'm just trying to be honest with that. But if I dig deep beyond that, I also realize that the only way for this society, this teacher that we, we want to achieve or live or create or whatever, the only way for us to get there is if there is a restorative element to what we do and cancel culture just doesn't fit. And I think what is interesting as well, what you said, Rocky, about people tend to go to the worst case examples The problem is we can't even do it with the smallest examples. We can't even do it in our personal lives. We can't even forgive ourselves when we make mistakes. So see if I'm wondering, how does our relationship with ourselves and our own identity and our, you know, ability to make mistakes and get back up again and all of that, how does that feed into the whole conversation? Um, it would be great if we had a moment to look at our reference points because I felt a lot of our identity is linked to how we live in reference to something else. Yeah. So if I'm living in reference to my my sort of heroes, my social media. Um, sort of, you know, goals that I want to I want to kind of reach, and the people that I'm kind of looking at, thinking I want to be like them. Those are our reference points. You know, if I if I grow up, just using a very loose ex- loose example, if I grow up and I say I want to be like my dad, for example, yeah, then I'll I'll grow up and I'll follow his principles, I'll follow his values, I'll try and do life the way he did, and all that kind of stuff. And hopefully, my life will then mold and navigate itself towards you know becoming like my dad or if someone wanted to be like their their aunt someone you know who really inspires them they'll kind of do that you know my aunt's a lawyer so I want to be a lawyer fine you're going to do that um where I think we 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 fall short and we end up cancelling ourselves or not really allowing room for us to try again is when we set these sort of goals and these boundaries and our reference points at very unachievable places Right. So if, I, if I'm a black actor now, or an actress, and I'm looking at Chadwick Boseman's life, and I'm thinking, man, I would love to have the impact that he has had on this earth, on, on a very large community of people around the world. Yeah. And I go, right, that's what I want to do. Yeah. And your whole life is motivated by that. Obviously, on the surface, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But you go to your first audition, you don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what's, what's your response there? in that moment yeah so in that moment what's going to inform your response is your identity it's going to be your reference point it's going to be what has grounded you and if what's grounded you is a far of ambition that is comparison even yeah from the get-go very unattainable very much um beyond all kind of methods of learning and actually trying, trying to go again then you're not going to want to go again because you're like, oh man, I set all my hopes on this one thing and this one thing doesn't work now. Yeah. And 
we're, and like we said at the beginning of the podcast, we're, we're all very obsessed about our one kind of core thing and the one way of living and one way of doing life that if there is another way offered to me, I will think many times before I take it. And part of forgiving yourself is trying to do it, trying to doing it, you know, trying to do it another way. Yeah. Trying to do it a different, a different method from, from what works. And all of our analogies tend, you know, are sort of, you know, lining up at this point in the conversation. So if the, if the teacher is gracious enough to try and help me to learn a different way, then, then be my guest. Cause a lot of kids in school, the teachers don't, the, the teachers are teaching 30 students one way. Wow. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but Socrates had one student yeah. and his name was Plato. <laughs> Plato had one student and his name was Aristotle. Those guys are pretty high. And those guys were nuts and they, they learned what their teacher taught them. And, they te- and, and the incredible thing is all of those are very different thinkers. They brought very different philosophies into the world. So if I'm a teacher today and credit to teachers, man, but please, you cannot teach 30 students the same way. Let's, let's not start talking about the education system. Yeah, let's not. <laughs> not this place, but Rocky has something to add. Exactly what you said. We have, we've had this emphasis on, on teachers. And I think on the other side of the coin, there has to be a, a certain posture from those who are willing to learn. Mm-hmm. Talk about the person that's coming into the room with the knowledge in terms of the piano teacher. Let's use yeah. that. Because I think it's a really strong one that we've been using. And then, but the piano student, if I'm the student, I have, there are certain characteristics I have to adopt to be able to learn best. And really? I have to humble myself. I have to be, I have to be building, like you said, a realistic future for myself. Because if I walk in and I want to play like Beethoven in a week, I've set myself up to fail. <laughs> that's not going to happen so then my anger and my resentment can be to my teacher yeah well you should have taught me better it's just like you're seven (laughs) (laughs) you you don't even have a driving license and you want to act do you mean because i think also the danger if we swing the pendulum if we swing the onus on the teacher to be available we've set ourselves up to fail again yeah. yeah, true. Whereas if we, are, if we are honest and humble students, there has to be a dance. There has to be a relationship yeah. between the two for me to humble myself, to yeah. like hum- humble myself to understand and honor what I'm being taught. Yeah. The intention of why I'm learning has to be pure. Yeah. Like you said, Seif, it's like if, you're, if I'm now an actor trying to be Chadwick, I'm setting myself up to fail. Whereas if I'm an actor that's trying to be the best Rocky Inti, mm. I'm setting myself up to win because that person has never existed before. Exactly. And my, my calling, my, my potential being fulfilled, me being successful, maybe that I train the next generation to be something else or equip the yeah. next generation or I may sell out a show that has a hundred people in it, but those people are yeah. cut by whatever I do. Yeah. Um, the has to also be on the student because Plato had to humble himself in front. Do you mean to be able to yeah. take on the lessons? 
Yeah. And form those lessons, build a framework, and then he could destroy the framework. But he had to honor the framework first. Yeah. I think, I think that's really powerful, Rocky, because I think, again, that it's so easy to point fingers, you know? And I think with, with the analogy of the teacher, and I know I said before about, you know, the, the character and the intention of the teacher, the same counts for the student, the character yeah. and the intention of the student and it's in this I love this analogy of the dance in this dance that we can actually create a better way and what's really interesting without trying to get too spiro right now but um what one of one of our favorites um who's a Franciscan monk called um uh, Richard Rohr he wrote a book called The Divine Dance and so he talks a lot about how the pattern of the universe and the pattern of the world and the pattern of God and, and all of that is, is this dance between these three realities or energies or whatever, the three identities of God, however you want to define it. And so I think what's interesting is he talks about, when he talks about the, the divine dance, the third is the space between. Yeah. It's energy between it's the space between the two and I think when we talk about our analogy with the the teacher and the student um it's the space between it's the third way it's the willingness to listen the willing on both sides it's the willingness to see the other in their divine self it's the willingness to honor the other as a human being as you know, all those kinds of things. So it's the space between that makes the picture whole. It's the space between that helps us create a community and a space in the society. And I do believe that. I know we don't see it right now, but I take comfort in the fact that often things have to get worse before they can get better. And I believe if we can become people on a very um, micro cosmic kind of way and in, in interrelational way and in our own selves and the relationships we have with people, but then also in a big picture way in the way when we start looking at, um, you know, reforming and in some, t- in some cases, maybe even <laughs> breaking some systems <laughs> and building new ones. Mm. Um, if we can introduce this idea, and when I say introduce, like this is by no means a, a new idea. We find it in all the big world religions. We find it in so many old traditions. Um, but if we can reintroduce maybe this idea that there is, yes, there is there is two. Like, you know, because we talk about polarization and left and right and all of that. And that's not a made up concept. They're true, but it's the space between mm-hmm that we need to start honoring and looking at. And if we can, if we can create an environment like that, that starts with us though. Like it has to start with me having grace for myself when I make a mistake. It has to start with me knowing that I'm not perfect. I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and be Beethoven or Chadwick or anybody else. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be anybody. I'm not going to compare myself to anybody else but I'm actually going to live a life aimed at becoming my best self that serves humanity in some way, shape or form, whatever that looks like. And it's going to look different for me than it does for everybody else. Mm. And I'm going to look for the space between, I'm going to look for um, 
you know, what unites us rather than what divides us. I'm going to listen. I'm going to be teachable. I'm going to be humble. All those things that we said. And I do think that if we can get a critical mass of people, the critical mass of people listening to the Third Way podcast. <laughs> if we can get everybody on the same wave. <laughs> I think life, exactly what you said, life is in that space. Yeah. It is in that space. You know, because if the, if the student and the teacher are in harmony, then correction can be brought in, in a graceful way. Yeah. All the tensions can be lived through joyously. Do you mean? Because if the teacher's yeah. like, you got that wrong, and the student's like, this is frustrating, there's going to be, there's, there will, it's not that when both people come in passive, I'm like, you are right, so are you. Yeah. Like, <laughs> the space between and honouring the space between means that anything is possible. That's actually true freedom because yeah. the, the student can break the chair and the, st- the teacher can be like, yeah, you're annoyed today. Cool. Yeah. I'll see that. I don't know. that again. <laughs> do that again yeah. or the teacher can get frustrated because the student's too slow but the student's like oh, i get why you're frustrated because you can identify the potential in me yeah 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 do you mean like in the space between that is where grace exists mm. and that's where that's where the i don't know that's where the magic is this the magic is in the space between that's where all the fun stuff of life is. Yeah, so, the magic, the spirit, the flow, whatever flow, you want to call flow it. Is. Flow is in the space between. Yeah. That's where the oil is. That's where love in its biggest form exists because love surrenders space to allow the other to be in. So. Yeah. I know that sounds counterproductive, but can we just like buy an island and get everybody who thinks like us and start our own commune? <laughs> It'd be great. It worked for a hundred years, and then once we died off, our children would just start doing a madness. That's what always happens. Every utopia, once the core people have gone, then it's what. This is why I love, I love, love, love the notion and the concept of Dr. King's beloved community, mm-hmm. because he, you know, he says very clearly that beloved community is not a place void of conflict. It's not a place where everybody, you know, where the lion and the lamb um, sit and like have a drink, you know, it's not utopia, but it's actually a space of mutual respect, um, a space of, you know, valuing human dignity, a space where, you know, the wealth of the earth is distributed in a way where everybody can benefit from it. Like, and that doesn't happen without conflict. Like those goals don't get achieved without conflict. So we're not proposing, again, to kind of come full circle with the whole idea of, you know, is can- what, what about cancel culture? What about people who really fuck up? Like all that kind of stuff. We're not proposing that those aren't all tensions and things that we have to navigate, that someone who commits a crime doesn't need to somehow bear the consequence of that but in that be given an opportunity to become and do better. So it's not a space void of any of that, but it's a space where more attention is paid to the space between than it is to left and right, to difference, to all of that. Maybe in closing, um, Steve, how, what do we do now? (laughs) (laughs) What do we do now? And there's no pressure, but I'd really like you to give us the answer. <laughs> yeah. What do we do now? I think um, 
you start with yourself. Good. Um, allow yourself to break things and learn from them. Good. Look at if if you are on on a journey of you know progressing in your career, progressing in a in a in a skill in in your relationships with people, in rebuilding something or the other, whatever it is that you're doing. If if you're if you're able to allow yourself a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, if you if you're able to humble yourself and go for another try and learn again and try and do it better, I think that now creates an opportunity for the people around you to be able to do that as well. So, so how I kind of look at myself and treat myself and the identity that I present um, when, I, when I make a mistake or when I fail at something or when I can't get something right, it's the same way then I expect from, you know, from the people. I, I highly doubt that the same people cancelling other people are the ones that are giving themselves a second chance because the likelihood is that they've cancelled themselves. Wow. So I think, I think it just, I think it would, it would start with us. It's, it'd, be, it'd be really strange if I said, oh, I think everyone ought to and then, you know. Um, so yeah. I think if, if, if I can discard cancel culture from my own life, if I can give myself the second chance, if I can create a space and an environment and have those safe reference points to be able to break things, to be able to learn by doing, to be able to make a mistake and go again, yeah. Um, and if enough people do that, there might be a space where we can bring the right kind of justice. We can yeah. sort of grow and develop whatever we want. We can actually, we might be able to achieve our dreams, our individual dreams, yeah. because we're we're not we're not pulling each other down. We're not competing with with one another for the wrong reasons. And yeah, um, yeah, you you know. So I think that's sort of. Um, an ounce of the third way. <laughs> <laughs> Rocky, any closing thoughts from you? Oh, that was great. I think, yeah, just extending grace for yourself and then to your loved ones and then to your enemies. Mm. Mm. Like extending grace to the people that you other mm. in every conversation. If we begun to, and that's why like, I love Jesus because, you know, that's what he, <laughs> Jesus, guys. I call Jesus, Jesus, and Christos. Um, if if we can extend grace for the people that we don't understand, mm. um, and just understanding that inherent in creation is destruction. So, like, do you mean like inherent in becoming an amazing pianist is your hands being tired? Mm-hmm. getting annoyed at yourself and muscle memory and spending hours in that and and I think in we, we're obviously using a lot of music analogies because we all love music but inherent yeah. in any sort of creation yeah. of any future that you want to be reality comes the destruction of something yeah also the rebuilding of something yeah so it's, it's us existing in the space in between like you said just to figure out what that is because that has to be an open conversation. Mm. That's not, we've never had it before. Yeah. Never existed. So it has to be a conversation between any polaring opposites. Yeah. I love that. You guys, it's, it's crazy. I feel really energized having had this conversation with you. Um, I have felt very, 
I was about to mix two words. Defibrillated. Defibrillated. <laughs> I was going to mix depleted and deflated. No, I don't know. I don't even know what I was going to mix. Deflated, depleted, depleted. Yeah, all of them ones. <laughs> and um, this conversation has really, I don't know, refreshed my spirit, if you will, and encouraged me. And, and I hope for those of you listening um, that it will do or has done the same for you. I think it's important for us to remember in times of, of trouble and where things seem very doom and gloom sometimes that there is goodness. There is hope. There are people who are working to be better versions of themselves and create a better world. And, and sometimes we have to look for them a little bit, but they're there. Um, you just listen to three of them. We try our best. <laughs> we try. <laughs> we fail all the time, but we try. And um, yeah, I just want to encourage you guys, um, those of you listening, become comfortable with the tension of life, become comfortable and start accepting and loving your humanity because at the end of the day, um, making mistakes and falling down, getting back up again and breaking things and all of that, it is what it means to be inherently human. And um, if we can all see that humanity in ourselves and in each other and love it a little bit more, then I think we are on the right trajectory for living on the third way. So thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, Rocky, and thank you, Cephas. Come on. Blessings. And uh, we'll be back with uh, some more gorgeous conversations very soon. Peace out.